Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are sure that you have all heard of the name Ghislaine Maxwell. For the past six months, not a day has gone by that her name has not appeared on a news site or in a newspaper. The accusations against her and her former partner, now deceased Jeffrey Epstein, are horrific and involve child abuse, money laundering and the trafficking of young women and girls. Ghislaine is a socialite with friends in very high places, including Prince Andrew from the British royal family Bill Clinton, former President of the United States. So how did Ghislaine get to where she is today? During the next three episodes, we will be looking into the lives of the Maxwell family. We are going to start back in the 1920s in a small Czechoslovakian village right near the Romanian border called Slitinsky Dolly. The village was involved in many land grabs over the years and changed hands often. Prior to the First World War, it was part of Hungary. After the Second World War, it became part of Russia. And between the wars, it was part of Czechoslovakia. Since around the year 2000, it has now become part of the Ukraine. Situated on the right bank of the Tisa River, the village was surrounded by forests and salt mines, the village name itself coming from one of these mines. Salt mining was big business in Europe and had been for many hundreds of years, making the owners very wealthy. But as with most types of mining, the pay for the employees was very low and the conditions they worked in were often dangerous. Early mines had people digging with pickaxes by oil lamp. Then as they developed, horses were used to help carry the salt and turn the treadmills. At least by the 1920s, conditions had improved a little and there was some automation including cage lifts and gunpowder. With little other choice, most of the men in the village of Slatinsky Dolly worked in the salt mines or were farmers, while the women looked after the homes and their children. One such couple living in these poor conditions were Merkel Hock and his wife Hannah Nee Slomovich. The couple were Orthodox Jews who spoke Yiddish. Yiddish is a language derived from High German and is written using the Hebrew alphabet. Prior to the Holocaust, there were 11 to 13 million speakers of Yiddish among 17 million Jews worldwide. Meckel and Hannah had seven children, though we have only been able to find six. Four girls, Shone, Giselle, Brana and Zipporah, and two boys, Yitzhak and Jan. Whilst Meckel worked, when he could, the family were very poor. 
One of their children said that they didn't remember owning a pair of shoes until they were four years old. Also, many of them didn't get a proper education, as the family were too poor to send them to school. Jon Ludwig Hock was born on the 10th of June 1923, a son to Meckel and Hannah Hock. Later in life, Jon changed his name to Robert Maxwell, the newspaper mogul and father to the infamous Ghislaine Maxwell. As we mentioned, Robert grew up in a very poor area, and he had very limited education in his early years, maybe spending as little as three years at school. He is said to have taught himself many things, including learning multiple languages. He was known to speak Yiddish, Slovak, English, German, Hungarian, and Ukrainian. At the very young age of just 15 or 16, Robert joined the Czech resistance to fight Nazi Germany. In March 1939, the German occupied Czechoslovakia, and Robert decided it was time to leave so he made his way to Hungary. Due to his involvement with the Czech resistance, helping volunteers for a free Czech army escape to the west by escorting them through Hungary to the Yugoslav border, Robert claims he was captured. He said that he was tortured and sentenced to death, gaining a last-minute reprieve because of his age. After making his escape, he made his way to the south of France, where he joined the French Foreign Legion and was later transferred to the 1st Czech Division of the French Army. While he was here, he changed his name to Leslie Dumarier, or Ivan Dumarier, taking his new surname from a brand of cigarettes. In 1940, France fell to the Nazis and Robert Maxwell was among 4,000 Czechs who made it to England where he joined the British Army in the British Pioneer Corps. Before transferring to the North Staffordshire Regiment in 1943, this was when he changed his name to Ian Robert Maxwell, and of course later, just Robert Maxwell. Robert Maxwell did well in the British Army. He was part of the Allied invasion of Normandy in 1944 and fought his way across Europe to Berlin. He rose through the ranks to captain, and in 1945, he was awarded the Military Cross for heroism. Sadly, in 1944, Maxwell's hometown in Czechoslovakia was occupied by Nazi Germany, and most of his family members were gassed in Auschwitz that same year. Elizabeth Jenny Jeanne Maynard was born to parents Louis Paul Maynard and Colomb Nipetel on the 11th of March 1921 in La Grive in France. Elizabeth's father was a Protestant descendant of the Huguenots aristocracy, while her mother was a Roman Catholic whose marriage to a Protestant had resulted in her being excommunicated. Elizabeth's father was an upstanding member of the community, acting as the mayor of the village and he owned a silk weaving factory. Growing up in a wealthy household with her older sister, Yvonne, Elizabeth was sent to England, aged just nine, to attend the convent of Our Lady Compassion in Birmingham. In 1932, once finished, she returned to France and studied law at the Sorbonne in Paris. 
1944, she was working as an interpreter for the Welcome Committee, which was set up to welcome French people to Allied officers. It was while working at this job that she met Captain Robert Maxwell, and they married on the 15th of March, 1945. At the end of World War II in 1945, Captain Robert Maxwell was assigned to Berlin. He was an accomplished linguist by now in multiple languages, and in 1946, he was involved in the publishing of Der Berliner and was heavily involved in the re-establishment of the post-war German economy. It was while doing this that Robert learnt about publishing enterprises and international business. He also gained an understanding of the importance of scientific research and publishing. Maxwell returned to England in 1947 with his newfound skills and put them to good use straight away, disseminating technical and scientific information in magazines and journals. He also started an import and export business between Britain and Eastern Europe through the extensive connections he had made. Maxwell had a great business acumen, and less than four years later, in 1951, he held the controlling interest in a publishing company dedicated to scientific papers, journals, and textbooks, called Pergamon Press. This is where Maxwell's fortune started. Maxwell had found his path. He specialized in scientific publications, especially Soviet publications, and ended up in an almost monopolistic situation. At this time, scientific publications were of critical importance, and he was there at the right time. During the 1950s, Maxwell started to branch out and explore other areas of business, working with a prominent doctor and purchasing a wholesale bookseller, Simkin Marshall. Not happy with just becoming a businessman, Maxwell decided it was time to get involved in politics, so he decided to join the Labour Party in the UK in 1958. Not one to hang around, he first stood as a candidate for Parliament for the County of Buckingham in 1959, finally winning the seat in 1964. By this time, he was enormously wealthy, which caused some issues. Some people felt that a rich foreigner representing the Labour Party, which represented working-class Britain, was somewhat hypocritical. While Maxwell loved politics, his political career did not flourish like his business career had. And in 1970, he lost his seat during the election and retired from politics. Maxwell was a tough businessman, and many thought he treated those who worked for him very badly. In 1969, just before losing his parliamentary seat, he was involved in a bitter dispute over the sale of Pergamon Press, the first publishing company he had become involved in when he moved to England. While negotiating a deal to sell the business, he overstated the profits of one of the companies that Pergam owned, which resulted in him being expelled from the board. Not one to be defeated, Maxwell repurchased Pergamon Press in 1974. Then in the early 1970s, his business activities were subject to scrutiny by the Department of Trade and Industry. Their conclusion, under the takeover code, relating to the sale of the Pergamon Press was, quote, We regret having to conclude that notwithstanding me Maxwell acknowledged abilities and energy, he is not, in our opinion, a 
a person who can be relief on to exercise proper stewardship of a publicly quoted company. During their investigations, they found that Maxwell had set up transactions between Pergamon Press and his own family companies to inflate profits such, and as such, inflate share price. There were a series of civil lawsuits that resolved the issues, but his reputation was left tarnished and it took a while for him to bounce back from that. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Just like the British Virgin Islands today, there were tax havens back in the 1970s, and Maxwell, of course, took full advantage of this. Maxwell, along with many other wealthy people, used these offshore tax havens to protect their assets via impenetrable trusts and foundations. So in 1970, Maxwell set up the Maxwell Foundation in Liechtenstein, a tiny alpine retreat situated in a valley between Austria and Switzerland, covering just 62 square miles. This tiny country was the least visited country in Europe and was inhabited by around 37,000 people. While it is still possible to use Liechtenstein as a tax haven, many have moved their assets elsewhere as under Liechtenstein law, trustees have the legal rights of the trust, which in the event of a dispute, leave beneficiaries with no access to their own assets. In 1981, after he had kept his head down for a while and fixed his reputation, he acquired the British Printing Corporation, changing its name to the British Printing and Communications Corporation, or BPCC, and again at a later date to Maxwell Communications Corporation. He also became very interested in acquiring the Mirror Group of newspapers, which would give him more control over the popular press. 
He put money into his other interest, football, or soccer for our American listeners. He bought Oxford United and became chairman of the club. They were near bankruptcy and at the bottom of the league tables when he took over. But after a cash injection from Maxwell, they won the League Cup in 1986. Unfortunately, their success was short-lived, and as the money dried up, they slipped back down the league tables. Maxwell was also involved in various philanthropic causes, such as being the chairman of the National AIDS Trust, which is a UK charity that helps those living with or affected by HIV. In 1986, he was also involved in the financing of the Commonwealth Games. In 1988, he gave £1 million, the equivalent of almost $2 million, to fund the International Conference on the Holocaust, called Remembering the Future. The conference took place in London and Oxford. Meanwhile, during a meeting of Maxwell's new employees, Mirror journalist Joe Haynes told everybody that he could prove their new boss was, quote, a crook and a liar, end quote. However, this was short-lived and Haynes quickly succumbed to Maxwell's influences and actually went on to write Maxwell's authorised biography. Maxwell wasn't the only media mogul on scene in the 1980s. There was, of course, Rupert Murdoch. Now in the late 1960s, Maxwell had put in a bid to purchase the news of the world, but the owners declined because of his Czech origins and left-wing views. Instead, the news of the world was sold to Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch was an Australian-born American who had built up a media empire through his company News Corp and owned hundreds of publishing outlets globally. Maxwell saw Murdoch as his rival and set himself a challenge to become bigger and better than him. In July 1984, Maxwell's dream of owning the Mirror Group was realized, and his involvement in journalism was born. He purchased the Mirror Group newspaper for £113 million, or around $200 million. At a press conference announcing the takeover, Maxwell said his editors would be, quote, free to produce news without interference, end quote. He was very interested in the evolving technologies around journalism, and made it his mission to update this side of British journalism. His empire continued to grow. He invested heavily in British cable television. He had a controlling interest in European MTV, purchased a major share in Nimbus Records, and had invested $500 million in publishing and journalism interests in the United States, including the Macmillan Book Company and official airline guides. The Maxwell Communication Corporation was the second largest printing company in the United States. Maxwell was now on a roll, and the empire grew and grew. In 1990, he added three U.S. tabloid newspapers to his portfolios, The Globe, The Sun, and The National Enquirer. Philip Barreford's Book of the British Rich, which is like today's Sunday Times Rich List, claimed that in 1990, Maxwell was the 10th richest man in Britain, with an estimated worth of 1.1 billion pounds, which was almost 2 billion US dollars. And his wealth continued to grow. In March 1991, he purchased the New York City tabloid, the Daily News. But he wasn't completely focused on the United States. 
He was also investing in Europe, adding an English language weekly newspaper that covered the whole of Europe to his growing empire. He also had business interests in Israel. Pergamon Media purchased a 45% stake in Modi Inn Publishing House, which owned an Israeli daily newspaper. He invested in Skitex, a company that produced equipment for large and very large format printing. Maxwell also invested in Keter Publishing House and Teva Pharmaceutical Industries Limited. But not everything Maxwell touched turned to gold. He had some failed business dealings too. In June 1985, Maxwell announced that he was purchasing the ailing home computer company of Sir Clive Sinclair, but the deal was aborted in August 1985. The announcement in the Washington Post on the 18th of June 1985 said, quote, The purchase bring together two of Britain's most unusual and best-known businessmen, Maxwell, the outspoken Czechoslovakian emigre and war hero who has built a multi-million dollar communications empire in his adopted country, and Sinclair, the balding, bespectacled and entrepreneurial boffin who built the world's first under $100 computer and won the admiration of the conservative Thatcher government plus a knighthood, end quote. However, the deal was aborted after the director's decision not to recommend the deal to the shareholders of the purchasing company. In February 1987, he launched the London Daily News, but it closed in July of the same year after losing around £25 million, almost $50 million US dollars. Maxwell was a controversial figure and not somebody you would want to cross. He was tough, uncompromising, arrogant and demanding, but he managed to achieve so much. He would fiercely defend his reputation, spending huge amounts of money suing anybody that crossed swords with him. However, he entertained with lavish abandon, sweetening business deals with vintage wines, champagne, caviar, opulent surroundings and women. (laughs) Playing loose and fast with the truth, he was able to smooth all kinds of business leaders and engage in many deals. At the top of his game, Maxwell owned over 400 companies. He bought flailing companies, split them off, and sold off the valuable parts of the business, always making a decent profit. He had a brilliant memory and can remember all of his holdings and what was happening with each and every one of them. Nobody could pull the wall over his eyes. On the face of it, he was a very successful entrepreneur who had come from nothing and built up this amazing empire. But beneath the surface, there were some serious issues brewing. Maxwell had set up his empire in a very complex way that only he understood. He expanded quickly and not always wisely. And he had done deals that were far too generous for the assets he was acquiring. The economic turndown of the 1980s affected large parts of his business empire. And he allegedly raided the assets of those more successful businesses to help those that were struggling. Unfortunately for Maxwell, this was not going unnoticed, and in the second half of 1991, the British fraud squad were ready to confront Maxwell after compiling a lengthy dossier on his business affairs. Articles started to appear in the press as more and more of his indiscretions surfaced. He was becoming nervous as his empire became more exposed. There were rumours that he'd even dipped into the pension funds of his employees to help fund the business. 
He was allegedly forced to sell Permagon Press and Maxwell Directors to cover his debts, and he also sold 49% of the stock of the Mirror Group newspapers to the public. Things were starting to unravel for Maxwell. Those balls he had been juggling for years were starting to drop. One by one. And he was in for a rocky ride. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.